Hey, thanks so much for joining us at our Red Rocks Church podcast. If you're new here, we're just a bunch of broken, messed up, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. We hope that this message encourages your heart, builds your faith so that you can say yes to all of the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Enjoy this message. Yeah. Is anybody getting excited for Easter? What's up, Red Rocks Online Campus? I'm so glad you're joining us. We tell you all the time, but never forget, it is not the presence of this building that changes your life. It is the presence of our God who changes your life. And he's with you no matter where you're at right now, home, office, gym, hike, bike, trail, wherever. We're so glad that you're here. And listen, as you just saw, we have already been working crazy behind the scenes, getting ready for what's going to be an unbelievable Easter weekend next weekend. So hey, listen, start making your plans. If you're in the Denver area, all four of our buildings are open. In fact, would you put those times up? All four of our buildings are open this weekend, Saturday, Sunday. Get your body in a building and let's do some church. But if that's not possible, you're not in the area, we'll be coming to you right here online, just as we always do. And listen, this is the absolute number one best time of the entire year to invite that person that you've been thinking about inviting. You got that person, you've been going, I should, I should, this is it. Listen, they might come with you just out of guilt alone. We'll take it. Let's do church together. Send a link if you want to invite a friend to join you online. Bring somebody with you in person. Join us at one of our buildings. We are going to absolutely party next weekend. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time, I like to tell you this up top because if you, if you keep coming back, you're going to find out soon enough. We're just, we're nothing special, guys. We don't pretend to be. We don't have all the answers. We don't pretend to have all the answers. We're not perfect. We won't pretend we are. We're imperfect, broken people, but we love to get together and pursue a perfect God. So no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how close you feel to God or how far away you feel from God, no matter what is happening, I want you to know in this place, you are welcome. We're so glad you're here. So welcome home and welcome to Red Rocks Church. I'm so excited for today. I get to introduce today's speaker. Guys, 11, I think it was 11 years ago, this kid as a high school senior walked into Red Rocks Church. Probably had big arms back then too. Experienced the presence of God, which I'm telling you, he's with us today. Start expecting something. Start expecting something for your life, for your family. He experienced the presence of God, gave his heart fully to Jesus, and had no clue what God had in store for him. Got a finance degree, ready to go kill it in the business world, and God called him to ministry, full-time vocational ministry, and he interned here at the church. And that, that takes a lot of humility to do as someone who went and got a high-powered degree and then come and humble yourself and intern at a church. And he did. And one day we went to him and we said, 
what do you think about being a youth pastor? And you should have seen his eyes. He's like, what? I don't know. If you know who I'm about to introduce you, he goes, I don't, I don't know. He finally said yes. And not too long after that, we came to him. We said, what do you think about being a campus pastor? Andrew, you know, he's like, oh, oh, I don't know, guys. I don't know. He finally said yes. He is not only one of my really close friends and, and brother, but he is the campus pastor here at our Littleton campus. He is a man of God. Don't let his biceps distract you because his love for Jesus is absolutely contagious. And that's why I'm so excited to introduce my friend, the man, the myth, the legend, Conrad Best. Come on, let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Red Rocks Church. I hope that you're feeling good. I hope you feel the presence of God. I hope, man, that for a second, because I'm a lot more excited about Easter than I am about what Sean had to say about me, but, but with this group standing here and online, would you, would you lean in for a moment just while we take the chance to honor our leader and, and our, my pastors? Oh, already, Sean, man. <clears throat> you're the best pastors around. It was through the ministry of this church that I not only realized that 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 relationship with Jesus was not only accessible but also desirable um, it's the first time that I realized that it could be for me it was through your humility and your generosity and your authenticity that that has opened up the door for a whole lot of people to have their lives changed Whitney and I we look up to you guys to, to your leadership to, to your pastoral um, commitment we look up to your parenting and your marriage, and we're just so thankful for you. I'm thankful that you believed enough in us to, to give us a chance. Just some anxious kid without a single clue. And I'm thankful for this. And, and I think we've seen um, a little bit of time that I've been around church life at this point, that it is not all that often where you have pastors that are as vulnerable and as accessible as you guys. And I think that opens the door for God to do a mighty work in and through your lives. And so I thank you for that. Not only my life has changed because of it, but a whole bunch of people. And you've never, never, never wavered from the mission that God put before you when you started this church. And thousands upon thousands of lives are different because of it. So we honor you. We thank you. And I'm just grateful that you believed in us and that you've built into us and that I have a chance um, to share God's word. 11 years. It'll be 12 years this fall. I was a senior at Chatfield Senior High in Littleton, Colorado. And I can't quite do the math quick enough in my head, but your son is actually now a senior at Chatfield Senior High. So I don't really know where that leaves you age-wise, but <laughs> in your late, mid to late 30s, he says. Um, but it is an absolute privilege to admit that God had, had, had a different plan for my life. And, and, and I know that he probably does for you too, wherever you sit today, um, maybe confused, maybe stressed out, maybe not sure what's next, but he allowed me to come back into pastoring the community that I grew up in. And I still get to run into teammates, into classmates, and, and I gotta like give them like a resume. I'm like, I promise. They're like, are you sh like, can we trust this place? And I said, the presence of God is there, I assure you. And so that's the only thing that we have to cling to. I'm a huge believer in the local church. I'm a huge believer in a life-giving church because it's changed my life. As Sean said, I met my wife here. I interned here. I get to work here. I have all my community. 
in this place. I like most of them even. And so I'm just so, so grateful um, to share with you. And Sean said, talk about anything. And I said, that is broad because it's March Madness. And that has been primarily what has been on my mind and on my heart. And I would insert a a rock chalk Jayhawk joke right here. But I think they've spoken for themselves. Talk on anything. How much time we got? Um, I do believe that God has opened his word to me and opened my eyes to what he wanted to say. And so it's a privilege to share with you. Um, Sometimes you you have a topic in mind and you try to wrap scripture around it. But I really believe that God said, here is this. And now would you speak what I have to say? And so with just the most humble heart and the only confidence that I stand on is his work. We just pray together and ask him to just meet with us. God, we thank you. God, you are in this place. You are in every single place that is tuning in online. I'm thankful, God, that we get to be a local church with a global presence. What a gift that is. You are raising up disciples. You are doing something new across this globe, and it's an honor to be a part. God, would you, would you share with us your heart today? Would we be transformed from the inside out? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to take a look at this question. Yeah, you go ahead and take a seat in this place. I want to, I want to take a look at this thought, this idea uh, that I've kind of been wrestling with ever since my eyes were opened to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip there. I promise we'll get there eventually. Um, but but I, I wanted to kind of look at this thought is why in our wrestle with our own humanity, in our pursuit of progress, it's not that we don't find the right solution sometimes, but it's that we are solving the wrong problems or answering the wrong questions. The title of my message is The Kingdom Condition. The Kingdom Condition. You ever find a solution to the wrong problem? Like you like set out to find a solution and like you found it, but like it wasn't really the problem you were trying to solve and now you don't even know where to begin? Well, I've got two dogs, so you're like, that's your problem, <laughs> solved. Uh, Kingston, he's our firstborn. He is uh, the more self-righteous of the two. He's got two primary objectives in life. One is to make sure that 99% of the world's population never touches him or interacts with him on a personal level. And the second is to guard his dominion with absolute integrity at all costs. And then there's Chief. And Chief's the younger of the two, certainly the prodigal son in the story. Chief is by far smarter, okay? He's just a little less applied from time to time. Some of your parents are like, they're so smart, they just don't apply themselves. And I said, well, that begs the question, you know what I mean? Sorry, it's personal for some. Um, but every year in, in the summer, in the springtime in Colorado, we get absolutely rocked by these storms that come through in the afternoons. And last summer was no different. We just got to be at home experiencing them as it happened. And so sure enough, a uh, storm rolls through, knocks our fence down, okay? We kind of have a yard that's divided. We have like a lawn area and then like a fenced off kind of like field area. And so both can be enclosed, but, but our, our tall fence blew over and is on the ground. And so, you know, call it laziness, call it quarantine, whatever you want to call it. It took me a little bit to get around to it. I wasn't interested in paying the high price, you know, supply chain shortage, all this stuff. It took me a while, okay, to get around to it, but I did. I did, because that's what I do, okay? We get stuff done. And uh, (laughs) we, we would sit and just waste hours, you know, on the back porch, 
pondering life and no, I think we were just mostly wondering if, if this would ever end and that we, it would be okay, you know? And, and I kid you not, on not one, but multiple occasions, we're sitting on our back porch and right at dusk, we would see a skunk emerge just out of nowhere, like, like just plopped into our yard. Now, I didn't know this, okay? I didn't know that skunks, in fact, like exist in time and space. I thought that the only role for skunks was to get hit by a car, to be dead on the side of the road, and to like stink up the whole mile radius of wherever they were. They exist, okay? So he would come just like shuffling through the yard. They're not graceful creatures. And I, I'm not a graceful creature, so that was probably close to accurate. But we would see, and fortunately, because we had had this separation of our dogs in this field, it was all good until it wasn't. And I get this fence fixed, and um, I watch YouTube videos. Sometimes it takes me to call some help, but we get it done. And I'm, I'm away one evening playing uh, a highly competitive Red Rocks Church flag football co-ed league. Second place finishers, don't sleep on us. Don't sleep on us, Connor. We got big things planned for the 2021 season. But I'm coming home one night, and I pull into the driveway, and I get out of my truck, and, and I hear the most ferocious, intense, barking, growling, attacking sort of sound I have ever heard my dogs produce. And see, what I typically did was knowing that we had had a certain skunk issue, would take a flashlight, in 10 seconds of my life, scan, no skunk, out they go. My wife, on the other hand, she believes in more of like a choose your own destiny sort of approach. And, and I go out and I, I know what's happening because the nice thing about a skunk is that you can smell it, you know, before you see it. And, uh, and it is atrocious. It's not the dead skunk. So this is pungent. It's power. It feels like you're eating it. Okay. It's like this thick or I'm running out there. I'm shouting, raising a joyful noise to the Lord. My neighbors are outside. Kingston is laying, covering his eyes, trying to wipe his face. Chief is still in the fight, okay? He's pouncing at this thing. He's barking. He's growling. I pan over with the flashlight. Skunk, like karate kid, fighting my dog. I'm not kidding you. Tail whipping around. Its talons are out. I don't know. The skunks have fingers. I don't know what they have. And, and I can't go over there because it's a skunk, okay? And I didn't know, you know, I don't know the fullness of their ability to, to spray or whatever it is they do. And I'm screaming. We still have not talked to these neighbors. Like eight months later, we're going to try to invite them to Easter. We'll see how it goes. Um, and I finally get the dogs inside. So we are calling everybody we know to get this situation fixed, okay? We had a couple friends, Ronnie actually, uh, he had had a similar experience. It was funny when it happened to him, but it's 10.30 at night. We're calling everybody who would take our call. What do we do? And it turns out, this is what you do. Dish soap, like vinegar, baking soda. You like stir it up. We're outside with scrub brushes from like the dishes, scrubbing our dogs 1030 at night, 40 degrees on top of my quarantine lawn that I had worked so hard for dead instantly. Okay. And, and we finally get them. We throw them in the shower. Like it's bad. It lingers for a while. They got sores in their mouth from where they get hit the whole thing. Well, bad skunk, skunk story gone worse. We thought the skunk was gone. Okay. And, and I don't know if he had resurfaced to like get some last things that he had left behind before he moved out. But we, I let the dogs out early one morning and I noticed outside Chief was acting as if he had been sprayed by a skunk. And the unfortunate thing is that I know how he acts 
once he's been sprayed by a skunk and he's sliding his face across the grass, rubbing, scrubbing his chest off in the grass. He's got sores in his mouth, but I had had COVID. Couldn't smell it. So I don't know. I literally get on the phone. I'm like, I'm not doing the vinegar thing again. I call the groomer. I'm like, I think my dog got sprayed by a skunk. He's like, it should be pretty obvious. <laughs> you see, I thought that the problem was the fence. Like the fence fell down, the dogs got out, the skunk got in. I fixed the fence. I thought the problem was the skunk, like the smell of the skunk. Like spray my dogs, it's an absolute nightmare. I thought we fixed the thing. I thought that it was the smell. that I couldn't smell the skunk, so that wasn't the problem. And I think the conclusion really is, is that the problem is actually the dogs. And I still got problems. You still got problems. Look at your name and say, you still got problems. You try as you might, you still got problems. And I wonder if you've ever addressed a side effect in your life, but not the issue. Like how often do we come up against life and in the urgency of our own need, we start finding solutions and slapping band-aids on everything but the source of the problem. Israel had problems. The Old Testament Israel we read about in our Bibles, they had some problems. You see, Israel was God's chosen people. They were the ones that he said, I'm going to mark them. I'm going to bring forth my redemptive plan through these people. And they were existing like a tribal league. So, so there was 12 different tribes, okay? And they existed mostly independently. They only came together for matters of worship and defending the promised land that God had gave them. And like, they, they liked it. Honestly, it was working out for them. There was no joint labor. There was no army. There was no central government. There's no taxes, A, leave politics out of this. Their primary interest, though, was peace and prosperity. Those were their objectives in life. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was king, and their success was largely dependent on their adherence to the covenant that he had set out before them. Another way to say is their well-being was a direct indicator of God taking pleasure in them or not. You see, the covenant that he had set was intended to set parameters. But I think we can, we can understand this in our modern context is that actually culture ends up setting the patterns for the Israelites. I think that's a shared experience that we have. You see, the problem with Israel was their obedience. But Israel believed it to be foreign oppression. Try to say that five times fast. Foreign oppression. And out of their perceived problem, flowed their solutions. Sandra Richter has a book called The Epic of Eden, and she has this amazing chart. If you're looking um, for, for a book to kind of like kickstart your theology and understanding the narrative of scripture, none better. Check it out. I don't know if that's officially endorsed by us, but I think Scotty B would approve. So here, here's kind of the ecosystem, okay, that, that God had set up for the Israelites. Okay, obedience, obey the covenant. Life is good, they're happy, but they're humid. They move into this area of disobedience to the covenant. And in God-sent discipline, he sends foreign oppression, okay? The goal of this foreign oppression that is sent by God himself is to bring about repentance and a cry for deliverance to begin to draw the Israelite people back to him. And as they would cry out, God would then send a deliverer or a judge, someone to come on their behalf as a representative of heaven to bring forth military victory and then another opportunity for them to obey. And it's good, right? They could stay in this place of obedience until they couldn't anymore, right? Like it works until it don't work no more. 
This was the old covenant, very transactional, very, we would do this, God would be proud, and he would do this. And the final judge of Israel that God was using to, to lead and guide his people was named Samuel. And Samuel leads Israel all his life. He is a man of integrity. He is wise. He is holy. We know that he's absolutely tough. But he's getting into his later and older years. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Israelites, the, the elders come to him and they say, Samuel, you ain't no spring chicken no more. We need a plan B. And you see, it would naturally go to his sons, but they did not walk in his ways. And they were as equally as evil as the other people in the land. And um, so, so they asked Samuel in verse five, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. And Samuel immediately knows that this is a bad idea. He's like, we are God's people. God intercedes for us and he stands on our behalf and he begins to prophesy. He begins to warn them. He begins to tell them of all the things that would go wrong, <laughs> all the oppression that they would face trying to solve the problem of fixing their oppression. They were oppressed, but they thought the problem was everybody else. So he warns them and he says, this new king will appoint sons for battle and service. Daughters would be servants in his courts. He says he will take your best fields, the thing that is providing for your family, that is giving livelihood to you. He's taking that for his use. He's gonna take your food. And he's gonna take everything that you have and appoint it to his work. And in verse 18, he says, in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. And they replied, no, we don't care. I added that. But there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. There it is again, that we may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Problem, foreign oppression, okay? The way Israel sees it, their problem is foreign oppression. Their solution, we need a king. He needs to build an army and he needs to go out and he needs to kick some tail and he needs to fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. No, that's not how you fight your battles, Israel. And what we end up seeing is that the kingdom of human creation enthrones a king that is far more representative of an oppressor than of a savior. I added some adjectives on this. A villainous, that's aggressive, and a victorious savior. You see, the problem was not the king. In fact, God actually intended to, to bring a king. He referred to himself as king, but he intended to bring forth a king, a human king one day. You can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 17 for yourself. Those taking notes, it's D-U-D-Eronomy. And it's in chapter 17, and he lays out his plan. <laughs> All right, gotcha. He described that this king uh, would, not be like, would not be described by a reliance on standard markers of power, but on God. Whereas Israel was looking at all these other nations that had the standard markers of power, but were godless people. The problem was not the king. The problem was the why. And he said that we may be like all the other nations. They wanted to be like all the other. Israel was not like all the other nations. Israel was set apart. Israel was chosen by God. Israel was commissioned to bring forth victory in the land, but they wanted to be like all the other nations. And they wanted a king to build an army and resolve foreign oppression that they had brought upon themselves. It was the wrong answer to the wrong problem. It was the wrong solution to the wrong question. They had misinterpreted what God had sent to draw them to himself. 
And how many know the right answer to the wrong problem is still the wrong answer? So enter Saul. Saul is going to become, he's going to be king of Israel. The first human king of Israel. The Bible tells us there was none more handsome and impressive in stature. He was tall, dark, and handsome. Kind of like Ronnie. At least they had the same hair color, probably. <laughs> Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, okay? And Benjamin, they were known for their victory in battle. They were known to be ferocious warriors. Jacob actually described the tribe of Israel as a ravenous wolf, devouring prey by morning, dividing spoil by night. He would be everything they needed to get their conquest that they were hoping for. We know that Samuel, even if, or Saul and his tribe would have come from some sort of family of wealth. On the outside, things were looking good for Saul. And I think we're so hard on the Israelites, are we not? Like we look back like thousands of years later, we're like, those guys, can you believe them? Saul, I could have seen that from a mile away. Could, could I challenge our thinking for a minute? We are Israel. We want Saul. Like, we want Saul. Okay, like, like our natural inclination and the, the thing we exert our most effort is in usually in answering the wrong question by what is right there in front of us. In our fear, we prepare to fight, make our battle plan. In the conflict of our circumstance, we begin to distrust not only what God has brought us through, but where he has taken us. In our internal battles, we wrestle and we conjure up this faithlessness. Not only do we start to lose faith, but we question the faithfulness of our God. In our anxiety, we begin restless and we begin this anxious toil of trying to find the next move, trying to find the next thing, trying to do the right thing. And I'm not taking personal responsibility off of your life and saying to sit back. I'm just saying that we start to look to Saul to solve a lot of our problems. And the human need that we are trying to solve through this approach, I think, is the thought that usually our security and our circumstance are often in opposition of one another. And so they seem to be an enmity, an enemy, an enemy, see an enemy. They seem to be at odds <laughs> with one another. Saul's everything that looks right externally the next move, the promise, the guide, the next trend. And so he's appointed king. 1 Samuel chapter 9, and it actually works out for a little bit. Like, he actually starts to have some minor victories and some success. The kingdom of Israel is at least temporarily renewed, and things are looking okay, and they're looking up. And, like, I think that's safe to say. Like, sometimes our human solutions, like, we can get it figured out for a little bit, right? Like, sometimes the things, the band-aids we put, they work. They work until you get in the pool, and it gets all soggy and falls off. (laughs) In 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul begins to take some minor credit, uh, some, vic- some credit for some minor victories that he was not even a part of, and you start to see his pride rise up inside of him. And, and the Philistines, the enemy of Israel, are now taking notice that Israel is mounting up this army. Israel wasn't much of a threat because they weren't really on the offensive and on the attack and looking for battle, but now they have this army and they have this new king. And it tells us that because the Philistines took notice, started to mount up against them. Now the Israelites are hard-pressed. It tells us that men started to hide. They're diving into caves. They're calling in sick with COVID. They're like, I can't show. I need two weeks. I need two weeks. The people followed Saul trembling. It says all the people followed him trembling. Why? They had their king, right? Problem solved. 
And I think from this vantage point, we, we can say, and from our consumerism mindset in the 21st century, we could agree that things don't fix the problem, right? Carnal confidence is, is ultimately vanity. Like they had all this confidence in their guy, Saul, until they saw some opposition coming and realized Saul actually couldn't do it because he wasn't God. And God used to fight their battles. And now Saul is fighting their battles in trouble was on the way. They didn't even have need for a formal military previously because God was fighting their battles and assembling them when he needed to. And I wonder if sometimes our boldness to go and kick down doors and to do things our way has left us susceptible and we found ourselves in battles that we were never intended to fight, that we never wanted to fight and step into. This is the Israelites that we find all of a sudden they're facing this oppression and, and this war that they just are not ready for. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8, I told you we'd get there. It says this. He waited, talking about Saul, seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. When Saul became king, Samuel said, wait, seven days, I'll come, we'll make the sacrifice, and we'll be able to go to battle. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished, uh-oh, offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, well, you see, uh, what had happened was... Uh, I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, which sounds very serious, that they're mustering in Mishmash. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. Sounds noble enough. So I forced myself, I had to do it. I forced myself and offered the burnt offering, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. He said, generation to generation, Saul, you could have had your kingdom. Saul knew the enemy was assembling. He knew the attack was coming. His anxiety was rising. His back's against the wall. We sit here. And some of us, we spend a lot of life sitting here, right? Is the payment going to come through on time? The end is near for this relationship. Is the kid going to make it through the thing? And we weigh down and we sit in this space of anxiety, wondering if God is going to come through or if we'll be flattened by our opposition. So he says, bring the offering to me, which is blatantly disobedient. He had no business doing what priests do. In the old covenant, there was this distinction. So you were supposed to go in battles. Samuel was supposed to provide the offering on behalf of God. Had he waited another hour and trusted God? Isn't it funny how the, the, the last little bit of our waiting is often the most difficult, where we get stirred up the most. And we're like, I'm going to move. I trusted God to this point, but it's looking bad. I'm going to move on it. Had he waited like another hour, it literally says as soon as he's done, I don't know how long it takes to sacrifice whatever he was sacrificing, but I can imagine that he was so close. And then we see Saul. He goes out. He sees Samuel coming, and he's like, clean it up, clean it up. I'm going to go He goes out, and the Bible says he went out to greet him. But in the Hebrew, it's this word to bless. 
So all of a sudden, not only is Saul doing priestly duties, he's starting to act as if he's a priest. He's starting to forget who he was because I think sometimes when we begin to prioritize our own way, how quickly do we forget what God has called us to? How quickly do we lose sight of reality? Samuel says, what have you done? What have you done? He said, the people were scattering. He said, and yeah, where were you, right? Where were you, Samuel? Like, is the problem, Samuel? You know, like, where were you? Just, I, traffic, really? Like, a lot of donkeys out there today, Sam, huh? Where, where, why couldn't you have showed up? This could have all been avoided. He said, I felt compelled, like I forced myself. I didn't, I didn't want to, but see, they were going and the enemy was coming and, and it was this whole mess. I'm as mad as you are, but I just had to act. I did what I could. Was patience his problem? Maybe patience was his problem. Like I just couldn't wait anymore. Like I had the restless leg syndrome. I had to do it. Maybe it was his desire to protect the people that he had been entrusted. Maybe that was his problem. Maybe he just desired to protect who he'd been entrusted with. He said, we needed God, as if, as if he couldn't have humbled himself and honored God in obedience and cried out for the nation in a humble heart, but in his pride of losing the battle, of people losing him, he acts on his own behalf. And we see his kingdom is no more. It's Saul's ability, inability to identify the real problem plaguing his humanity brings forth an abrupt end to his reign that could have been forever handed down from generation to generation. And we come to this abrupt realization that kingdoms built by our human condition are oftentimes so misguided and seek out and set out to solve the wrong problems. You see, when the condition for, for success, right, when the, when the condition of the kingdom is on the self, self-reliance, self-discipline, self-help, self-action, self-motivation, it crumbles in an instant. In one moment that couldn't be waited past. And when we try to solve the wrong problem, when we notice that we have enthroned the wrong authority of our life, when the king of our human construct, pride begins to lead the way. Fear of rejection and failure oftentimes take the driver's seat. Our feelings start to, he said, I felt compelled. I had to, I forced myself to do it. Our feelings are then prioritized over God's process. And excuses begin to cloud our perception, right, of what God not only wants to do in us, but what he wants to do through us and the fruit that he wants to bring forth. And this is where Saul sits, and this is the deep personal work that Israel as a whole was missing out on was proximity to God himself. The problem with the Israelites was not foreign oppression. And the end of Saul's kingdom ruled by human condition, our Solution, our best guess, ushered in a kingdom of God's choosing that represented God's heart that addressed the real problem. And it would be revealed when we find Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And Ben, you guys can come on up. You see, days before Jesus would be arrested and crucified and willingly give himself over, after he had completed the majority of his ministry, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Swag, I guess. 
but it was a sign of royalty. It was a sign that he came in peace. And all of Israel is partying it up. In Jerusalem, they're like, yes, it's time. It's this grand spectacle. Most of the time, Jesus did most of his work in secret because it was not yet time. It was not yet time. It was not yet time. And they see him coming, and they begin to celebrate. People are laying their cloaks on the ground because kings shouldn't get their kicks dirty. And then they're covering it, and people are dancing around. They're waving palm branches was a sign that the enemy has been defeated. And they're raising, they're dancing in victory. And Jesus is on his way, and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which was a a dress for a king by oppressed people saying, save now. Jesus, save us now. Thank God that you are here. And they are absolutely ready to party. We call it nowadays the triumphant entry. Triumphant, having won a battle or a contest, being victorious a celebration of victory that has already been had. You see, but they celebrated the wrong king. They celebrated the wrong thing. They celebrated an outcome that would not actually come. You see, because the people in Jerusalem were still stuck in an old pattern. They thought that Jesus, the new king, the next king, out of the line of David, was coming to restore national sovereignty, to end foreign oppression, to renew prosperity in the land, to reunite the North and the South kingdoms. And I wonder if you're fight looking for the, the answer, you are stuck in a pattern of thinking, addressing the wrong problem, wondering why you've not had the same solution and you repeat it and you repeat it and you repeat it. Could I tell you that what may change a circumstance will never change a heart and King Jesus came for the kingdom condition, the kingdom of the heart. He came to restore humanity back to him and he came to offer an offering and a sacrifice that we could not produce under our own will, our own desire, our own best effort, plan, and hope. They were still waiting for the wrong thing with the wrong solution in mind. And I love this. Zechariah chapter 9 is prophesied generations before this would happen. And Jesus picks from Zechariah chapter 9. It talks about the coming of a king, the coming of a savior. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace, not war, peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, not just over you Israel, but over everything in his creation and from the river to the ends of the earth as for you also because of the blood of my covenant with you I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold O prisoners of hope. Today, I declare 
that I will restore to you double. He says your king, not the king you wanted, the king that you needed is coming to you. He's humble. He's riding on a donkey and he's here to set you free. He is righteous. He carries not a sword but salvation. And he is coming to restore the hope of humanity, everything that is broken about you, every solution that you could not come up with the answer for, every problem of your human condition, he has come to set right. He speaks peace. And he offers a new covenant that is not dependent on your behavior or my behavior. It is dependent on his blood. And he ushers in a new covenant, one that is accessible and one that is attainable only by the blood of Jesus. And I love this. He refers to your stronghold of hope. You see, our stronghold sometimes is self-preservation. Our stronghold is all the old ways and all the old things we knew where we hunker down for battle and we say, okay. The enemy is rising up. Here I go. He says, no more. He says, we will fight from a posture of hope. As the only thing that we have left to cling to, he offers an invitation to return. He offers freedom for captive souls. And he says, the king restores in double portion what we have sacrificed over to the kingdoms of our own creation. The Israelites willingly stepped into more oppression than they had before, willingly giving over their, their livelihood and who they were. And Jesus comes in and says, today I restore to you double. See, the problem was not the king. The problem was the who, the problem was the why, the problem was that they were answering the wrong question. Our problem is, is not the thing. The problem is that we just sometimes forget where to look. We forget what we're looking for. Saul, the natural response of our human desire. Jesus, the supernatural response to the human condition. Saul came in conquest of human enemies. Jesus came in pursuit of all humanity. Everything that our smallness wanted, our narrow-minded view, our self-help addictions was replaced by everything that we needed in the fullness and in the magnitude of the glory of God. The first versus the final king and the final kingdom, the kingdom with no end. Saul did the one thing that he must not do. Jesus came to do the only thing that only he could do. Saul offered a sacrifice he had no business offering. Jesus came as the sacrifice to restore us back to him forever and opened and gave access to the kingdom of heaven open changed our condition forever set us free set us on a new path the problem was not the foreign oppression or the external circumstance the problem was within the human heart the problem was the human condition Jesus came to set forth a new kingdom condition that was contingent on his grace and on his goodness that only by through and through and by him do we now have access. Jesus needed to be everything that we are not to solve the very problem that we are often unaware of. Would you stand to your feet at home, watching online? Would you lean in for just a minute? I, I just want to speak some, some confidence. I, I want to speak some encouragement over you. I, I think that God could rewire our thinking here in a moment. I just want to make some declarations over you and over your family and over your mindset. And maybe, maybe, maybe we start to find a new solution to an old problem. We break old patterns and we let Jesus set the pace. Your problem is not that you are incapable. 
that you just haven't yet accepted that his power is made perfect in your weakness. Your problem is not that you're controlling, it's that you've just never been able to surrender and trust the goodness of God. Your problem is not that you're inadequate, it's that you haven't accepted the source of your sufficiency is his, found in his grace. Your problem is not that you wear masks to hide, it's that you haven't allowed yourself to be vulnerable enough to let the King of Heaven come and heal you. The problem is not that you're obsessed with success and of achievement, it's that you're discontent with the small dreams that your small mind has conjured up and you need a bigger vision of what God could do for your life. The problem is not that you're consumed with comparison, it's that you don't trust that the provision and that the giver of good gifts actually wants to give good gifts to you as well and not just everybody else around you. The problem is not that you find yourself in unhealthy relationships. The problem is that you fear being lonely and rejected because you have yet to accept the truth that Emmanuel, God with us, will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is closer than the air that you breathe. Would you receive this? The problem is not that you're helpless, it's that you just haven't let the spirit of grace help you in only the way that it can. The problem is not that you're broken, it's that you're learning to trust that he who began a good work in you is faithful and he will see it to completion and he is not done working, he's not done with you. Your story has more. The problem is not that God is angry, the problem is you have not acknowledged his available mercy for you. It's not that he's silent or distant. It's that you've just prioritized the noise of your world over the gentle whisper of his word. Jesus came to address the human condition, the kingdom that is conditioned upon his grace that offers us access that we never could have had before. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem and we know that he is born king in the lineage of David. We know that he goes to the cross shortly after he enters Jerusalem and he's crucified, hung on a tree and dies king of the Jews with a sign over his head. And we know that three days later, oh, he's king of the grave. He is the king of victory. He's the king of power. And we know that he's not coming back on a donkey next time. He's coming back on a war horse. King of kings, Lord of lords, to set you free once and for all, to restore the kingdom that has no end, to the kingdom that only he set in motion. God, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus that you're meeting with us. I thank you that we have a king. God, I thank you that we can arrest in your power. I thank you that you are the king of miracles. I thank you that you are the king of hope. I thank you that you are the king of peace. God, I thank you are the king that can rework and rewire our heart. God, God, I just want to pray right now for anybody that they're still looking in the wrong places at the wrong solution. God, would you just identify yourself as the very thing that they're looking for, that the condition that they are wrestling with is deep inside them that was set forth by sin, but by your grace, God, you want to come in and you want to do something new and in their life and in their heart. You want to break their old patterns. You want to break their old addictions. You want the spirit of truth to usher them into all freedom. And if this is you and you have never accepted Jesus as king of your life, you've never given the opportunity to be the answer to the very thing that you're looking for, I just invite you right now on the online chat in this room, would you just lift your hand? Would you respond to what God is doing? I believe that he is setting some people free. I believe that he is repatterning the way we think. God, I pray that you are coming again as the right solution to the 
the only problem that we've ever had, which is the problem of our own humanity. I thank you that you set our feet right and that we get to walk in your goodness and your greatness and your glory. We love you, Jesus. It's our honor to bring praise to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.